Drowning in status updates and lost in endless emails? Break free with ClickUp.com, the one app to replace them all. Imagine a world where your team collaborates effortlessly in one shared space. No more chaos, just ClickUp. Your projects, tasks, and communication unified at last. Transform how you work with customizable views, seamless integration, and real-time updates. ClickUp is your shortcut to more productive days and happier teams. Join the millions of productive teams already streamlining their workflow. Visit ClickUp.com to get started. The connection between you and your therapist matters. That's why Alma focuses on helping you find the right someone to talk to, not just anyone. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search by what you want to focus on, like anxiety, relationships, or big life transitions. You can also specify preferences around gender, race, faith, and more to help you find someone who's more likely to understand where you're coming from. Alma also makes it easy for therapists to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of providers in their directory accept insurance for sessions, so you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash not just anyone to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash not just anyone. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey folks, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday, we release these special episodes where we look back at content from the earlier years of the podcast. This year, as a part of our fundraising effort to keep Risk in existence during what has been the most stressful year of financial crisis for us ever in our 15 years we've been around, we're looking back at some of the greatest stories that have ever been told on Risk as a way of reminding you how irreplaceable, how truly worth saving this podcast is. Today, we're going to hear a story that I have always considered a landmark moment for us. This is, to say the least, not an easy story to hear. This is a story about child sexual abuse. And the reason it was such a turning point for the podcast in November of 2011, when it first ran, is because it was the first story on that subject where the storyteller went into such detail with her memories of the trauma and told it with such emotional vulnerability. After our first recording session, which brought tears to my eyes sitting there recording with Nancy, I told Nancy 
I would send her the recording and she could take as much time as she liked to decide if she really wanted us to put it out there or shelve it or whether she might like to do another recording session. I think it was about two weeks later that she said she'd given it a good listen and wanted to do a second session. Then we edited both of those sessions together as one story. And with Nancy giving us the green light on that, we put it out into the world. And I think it was about two weeks after that, that I got an email from Nancy saying that she'd been in therapy working on the issues this story unpacks for 10 years already. But nothing thus far in her life had been as therapeutic as the experience of working on this story for risk and putting it out there in the world through us. Now, in the second half of this episode, you'll hear a conversation between Nancy and a therapist reflecting back on the story all these years later. So, without further ado, here is Nancy Sullivan with a story we call Life Worth Living. I was by myself in my campus apartment, laying on my bed, and I was slapping myself in the face over and over and over again. And I wasn't going to class, I wasn't going to my job, I wasn't returning phone calls, I was just slipping away. And um, I wanted to rest so badly, and that feeling turned to wanting to die. I filled up a bathtub with water, and I thought, if I just take a bunch of pills and pass out in the water, I won't have to deal with any of this anymore. When I was in the seventh grade, we were going to watch a health class uh, video on sexual reproduction. The energy in the air is just kind of like giddy. Everybody's very giggly about whenever they're talking about penises or they're showing, you know, a diagram or anything like that. And they're showing this like scenario of this older man who lives next door to a young girl. And then eventually we're led to believe that he does sexually inappropriate things to her. I have a girlfriend next to me and she whispers into my ear. She's like, oh my God, that's so sick. I can't believe that we're watching this. And so I'm like, yeah, oh, it's just totally wrong. And I don't even look at her. I'm just staring at the screen and I just have this feeling in my stomach. I'm like, oh God, this is so familiar. I um, start to have memories after that point. I grew up in the South and my closest relatives were 
me and my brother, Tommy, and my cousin, Eddie. And Eddie was a cousin on my mother's side of the family. And we always used to see them when we would go for vacations. He was about 10 years older than me. Everybody thought it was really, really cute because Eddie and I were spending a lot of time together. Wherever he was, I was. What they didn't know is that secretly, although I was pretending to be excited, I was really very scared. I was terribly fond of Eddie, and I really looked up to him, and I looked up to my brother. My brother was only about a year older than me or so, and it was just cool, like, the things that the boys got to go off and do together. Um, They got to, like, shoot BB guns and, you know, play with knives and stuff like that. And, um, of course, I was interested in anything that they thought was cool. And I remember I was on the couch with Eddie. We were alone. I think the family had gone off to do Christmas shopping. And we're watching this movie in the dark. He's laying behind me. We're on our side on the couch. And he starts to grab me very, very tight. His hands have just sort of like moved down to my waist and then they're between my legs. I'm thinking he's going to be tickling me, but it doesn't feel like anything I've ever felt before. It doesn't feel right. And so I say, what are you doing? And he says, what, don't you like that? And I just start crying and I'm like, no, I don't. And he's, uh, he just says, listen, you're going to have to keep this a secret. If you tell anybody about this, you're going to get into a lot of trouble. And so for years, I just never said anything. There was a time we were, it was me and Eddie and Tommy, we're all playing hide-and-go-seek in my grandfather's house. And Eddie takes me in the back guest room and he locks the door and he pulls down my pants. And then he puts me on the bed face down. He begins to lick my anus. He puts his fingers inside of me, and I'm just crying because I'm so humiliated and so ashamed, and um, I can't say a word, because if I tell anybody, I'll get in so much trouble. And he stops and he says, now do it to me. And so he pulls down his pants and he lays on the bed, and I start to copy what he's done. I just remember every single thing about it. I remember even the way it tasted, the way he smells, the tears on my face. I started to stop because I was crying and he would make me do it better. He would say, you're not doing it right. Keep going. And I would just continue. And then After it was all over, you know, he puts up his pants, and then he helps me put my pants back on, and then I would just run out into the living room and just sort of crouch down next to my dad and just pretend like nothing ever happened. I even started to look at old photo albums, and I remember I was looking through pictures, and there's this one picture of me in a red dress in my grandpa's backyard, and... I remembered wearing that, and it was me and Eddie and Tommy, and we were going to go into the attic that's in my grandpa's barn. He has sort of a barn in his backyard. He makes Tommy 
go up the ladder first and um, I'm supposed to go up next so that he can be behind us in case anybody falls. But he had positioned himself so that Tommy wouldn't see that while he was behind me, Eddie was putting his fingers into my panties on the way up the ladder. This one time we were at the beach and I wanted to sleep out on the veranda of this condo that we had rented. I loved the way that the waves would crash onto the beach and how it sounded and the salt water and all the little sea creatures that I could find. And I asked my mom and she said, yeah, sure you can do it, but uh, somebody needs to take care of you. So Eddie volunteers and he comes out and he helps me set up a little cot for myself. He says, I'm going to go inside and get dressed for bed, but while I'm gone, you need to practice for me. And he had me put my fingers inside of myself, and he says, I'll be back. He goes in, and he gets changed, and everybody's starting to go to bed, and the lights get turned out. And he comes out there, and that was the first night that he tried to put his fully erect penis inside of me. I was very, very small. I was about five years old, and it was extremely painful. Things started to get a little rougher from that point. Um, he would go a little further each time. I had this natural ability, though, to sort of meditate through the pain. I would um, focus on something. Like, there was a map that I used to look at in my grandfather's attic, and it was sort of 3D, it was three-dimensional, and I used to imagine that I was looking at the map from a bird's-eye point of view, and that I was flying over the, the rivers and the valleys and the mountaintops. Meanwhile, you know, my body is on the floor, I'm on the scratchy carpet, and there's sawdust around me, and there's spider webs in the corners, and it's just got this musty attic smell in the air. Once it was over, I came back to reality and I would just go inside and just have the rest of my day. After remembering all of these things and knowing exactly what it was and it was much more difficult to go and be with that side of the family on vacation. I had trouble sleeping. I didn't like to eat. My family sort of chalked it up to me being a rebellious teenager, that I'm just at that stage in my life that I just didn't want to be near them. But I was genuinely terrified that something would happen to me again. Even though the abuse had stopped like years before, I was still very scared that it might, it might happen again. I was also very confused because he just, Eddie seemed to be so normal. He didn't seem to be having any trouble with what had happened. He just pretended like everything was fine near me and I, I remember just like if I had to sit next to him on the couch, I didn't like it. I would just sort of like clench my jaw and my hands would sweat and would just be very, very tense. When I was about 16 or so, 
Melissa, my older cousin, was getting married and I was supposed to be a bridesmaid in her wedding. But by this point, I had been sort of involved with theater and I had gotten into this play and the show dates conflicted with her wedding. And when I learned that not only was I going to be in the wedding, but I was going to have to walk down the aisle with Eddie, I just started to make a plan. I was going to tell my mom that the play was very, very important to me. They, they really, really needed me to be in the show. And so I was just going to have to put the wedding off. She was like, well, you know, they can't change the date around. <laughs> You're just going to have to put your family first. I don't understand why you, why you would want to be on a play more than you want to be in the wedding. Don't you love your family? And I, I'm like, yes, of course I love my family. But it's just not enough for her. And I can't pretend anymore and I can't put it aside any longer and so I say look there's something I haven't been telling you um, when I was a little kid Eddie used to molest me and she says are you lying to me and I was so shocked <laughs> and so I say of course I'm telling you the truth but why would I She's just convinced. She's like, tell me the truth right now. You can't lie about something like this. This is a horrible thing that you're talking about. You have to tell me the truth right now. What's going on? And I'm like, that is the truth. I don't want to be in a dress in a wedding with this awful person that did this awful thing to me. How could you just not believe me. <laughs> and it's just... She's there and she's looking at me and I just need so much help from her and she won't give it to me. And she says, look, I'm going to tell you something. The same thing happened to me when I was your age. I was molested by my cousin, and I never said anything. I just got on with my life, and that's what you're going to do. You're going to suck it up, and you're going to be there for the family. And I just refused. I just said, no, I can't. I can't do this anymore. I need help. We need to tell somebody. You have to help me. And she wouldn't. And um, eventually she decides, <sighs> she decides that um, that if I keep it secret, if I lie to the family and I tell them that I'd rather be in the play, that I won't have to be in the wedding. And it's not precisely the best case scenario, but, you know, it gets me what I want. So that's what I did. I remember she made me call Melissa and tell her to just count me out. And to this day, I, I think that Melissa doesn't, she's not very fond of me because of it. 
years pass and I'm just pretending my heart out that I'm the perfect daughter leading the perfect life and I'm just happy and I sing and I dance and I do plays and that everything's fine. I did find a lot of joy in theater. I even went on to college to become an actor. The first year was good. I made some pretty awesome grades. I started partying a lot. I was sleeping around with a lot of guys that were not stellar for me. Doing drugs. Just being a wild child, basically. It gets to the point where I'm thinking to myself, God, something has to change because I don't think I'm going to graduate. I talked to a friend about it and he said that he had been seeing a counselor. And I'm like, oh, that, I just, you know, I don't think I'm crazy. Why would I need to see a counselor? And he's like, look, trust me, you don't have to be crazy to go into therapy. So I gave it a shot. And we just peel back onion layers until we get down to the meat of it. I didn't realize how far that it had affected me and that how hiding it from my family and being told to keep it a secret was far more damaging maybe even than the abuse itself. My mom had told me, you know, you're going to break up the family if you tell anybody. But my therapist said this thing to me. I'll never forget it. It just shocked me to death. She says, don't you realize that your family's already broken and it's not your fault? And that was the first time that I ever had to sort of realize that I had been blaming myself for many years. I had just assumed that I was worthless and I just started to turn all of my anger towards my mom and we were having these horrible horrible fights on the phone and it was just a terrible period of anger I started to fight with my brother as well there was one phone conversation we were having and he didn't understand why I was so angry at everybody and why I was picking fights with my mom and you know he's going on about this and I just blurted it out I was like look I was abused when I was a kid and that's why I'm in therapy right now he takes a breath and he his voice just drops very low and he just sounds so heartbroken he goes what did you just say and I said I was molested when we were kids and it was a family member and he just stops and then he comes back on the phone and he says why would you lie to me and I say look I'm not lying to you I'm telling you the truth and he says no it, it can't be true we were always together he was always where you were I was always there too I would have seen something and I'm like look you were a kid you were only a year older than me and there were times when it happened when you were in the room and I told him this story about how um, we had we were alone we were being babysat by Eddie and we had set up a tent in the living room and um, Tommy was playing video games 
Eddie and I were in the tent and he started to touch me and I didn't want it to happen so I started to crawl away and Eddie grabbed me by the ankles and put his hands over my mouth and I couldn't call for help and it's he just said you're crazy you need help this is sick I can't believe that you're making this up and it's just deja vu all over again and I'm so sick of having to fight and defend myself over something that wasn't my fault and um shortly thereafter I um I remember this was when Hurricane Katrina had just hit New Orleans and my uncle was down there living right outside of the city. He was by himself and I was calling just to check on him and see if he was okay. And he's there on the phone with me and um, he's like, hey, look, you know, there's somebody else here that wants to talk to you. Hang on just a second. And it's Eddie. And he just has this normal conversation with me about how's college, this is what I'm doing, I have a job, blah, 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 blah. And I'm in the middle of all of this therapy, realizing like how much he's hurt me. I can tie back the effects of what he's done to me to be indicative of my academic failure, you know, all this stuff. I'm just like furious with him. And I can't believe that he's just normal. He says to me, you know, I'm, I'm dating this girl. She's uh, into theater. She does all of this stuff. She, you know, she really reminds me of you. And that just made me feel so disgusted. I just said, look, I gotta go. And I hung up the phone. For the next three days, I just couldn't get any sleep at all. And I don't know when, I don't know specifically the moment it started, but I had begun to think about um, what wouldn't hurt. I just started filling up a bathtub with water. I don't even want to leave a note. I don't feel that I owe anything to anybody else. I don't feel that I have to explain myself. And I started lining up all of the pill bottles that I had along the edge of the tub. And hopefully I could just pass out in the water and I would drown, and I wouldn't have to deal with anything anymore. So, the tub was full, and I turned off the faucet, and then I glanced at a photo of me and two of my best friends, and I thought to myself, what are they going to feel when they hear that I'm gone? I thought, how long is it going to take before somebody finds me? What will I look like when they do? Something shifted in me. At one point, I don't, it's like I just went into autopilot, and then I had my, had a phone in my hand, and it's like this other person in me is calling this 
suicide hotline and I'm like, look, I'm having trouble. I might kill myself today. I need help. And I spent 17 days in a hospital undergoing treatment and psychological evaluation. Uh, during that time, I lost my job. I had to drop out of school because I had missed so much. And there was nowhere else for me to go. Since I wasn't a student anymore, I couldn't live on campus any longer. And I had to move back in with my mother. I felt very isolated at that time because everybody else was going off and graduating and leaving me behind. But I started going to sessions with this elder gentleman. He asked me, you know, are you taking any medication? And I told him about all of the pills I was taking. And I, I rattled off four different prescriptions. And he, he was like, whoa, 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 how many pills are you taking? And I was like, uh, this, this, and this. He goes, that's a little extreme. Have you considered stopping the pills? And I was like, uh, no, don't I need them? And he's like, nah, just go ahead and stop. Uh, let it get out of your system and then let me know how you feel. And so I did. This, this guy is listening to me and going through all of these events with me and it just seems like he really cares and then he really hears me and he, he understands what I'm going through in a way that, that reminds me of how my father used to take care of me. My father died when I was, when I was younger, when I was about 12. And um, he always told me, you know, you don't have to do anything you want to do. And, you know, you just, you've just got to be yourself. And this was like some of the same advice that this guy is giving me. And it just brings me to a place of stability that I honestly thought I wasn't ever going to achieve again. We even discussed that he thought, you know, maybe my brother really does believe me. And that just deep down inside... Nobody wants to believe that their greatest fears have come true. And it took me years to come to that realization, so I can't expect him to just just shift overnight to my side. If it never happens, I need to be okay with that. Which is a hard pill to swallow. And I had to learn how to forgive my mom. I was very angry that she didn't take care of me and she didn't you know, get me the help that I wanted. And I, I would just keep on going about like, well, if she had, then I would have done this and everything would have been so much better. And, and he, he says to me, since you can't change it, what are you going to do from here on out? You know, I just had to learn to distance myself from them. I'm an adult now. I was a little less hopeless about the future. I started to believe that I could finish school and that I could become somebody and that my abuse didn't have to define me. And then the world was sort of open to me. Life is much better for me now than it was then. I don't live at home anymore. I don't even live in the same state anymore. I'm trying my best to pursue my dreams here. I have my friends all around me again. And I do go back and visit every now and then, and it's a very interesting experience for me because sometimes when I'm in a plane and I'm headed back to New York, it feels like I'm headed back towards 
a home that's been there for me all along, I definitely feel like I'm carried towards a life that's worth living. Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hello, T-E-N-D.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. We're 
This is Risk. This is the beta band behind me now. And we just heard from Nina Simone. And before that, of course, we heard the story Life Worth Living by Nancy Sullivan. It was first recorded for Risk in 2011. Now, in 2023, we invited Nancy to re-listen to her story, along with Cindy Nielsen, a licensed professional counselor, so that the two of them could record a conversation about Nancy's story all these years later. You can find Cindy at skylightcounselingcenter.com. And here are Nancy and Cindy now. So I'm Cindy. I'm a psychotherapist. I'm practicing in Chicago. We're currently getting our very first snow of the season. I am a longtime listener of the podcast. I found it, I think, in 2017. Nice. And it changed, it changed my life. I remembered there was a little caveat on one of the episodes where he was mentioning it would be helpful to have some therapists in here. And, yeah. Um, and so I thought, well, I'm a therapist and I love the show, so yeah. want to help. Um, <laughs> and he sent me over a bunch of stories and yours was one of them. Oh, nice. And yeah. Was that I the first it. time you had heard it? Like when he sent it them was, over? No, I remembered your story. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had remembered it. It stuck with me as um, incredibly courageous, right? Just, and, and really just speaking to, like, think the purpose of storytelling mm-hmm. as a way to heal, yeah. heal that, that relational trauma. Yeah getting it outside of yourself, like putting it into a journal, for instance, or like just doing something with it. You know, um, there was something I heard somebody said, like, uh, words are like magic, like something that happened doesn't necessarily exist until you've heard it. Ooh, yeah. You know? Words are so magical. Yeah. They're so So. powerful. Yeah. I have, I think, um... I just, there's so many places that I want to go, mm-hmm. I think, with you in this <laughs> exploration of yeah. the words that that you put out into the world, right. you know, 12 years ago. Like, yeah. I will acknowledge, you know, like the, like my, I was like listening to the podcast a lot too. Like I was like, I moved to New York and I was doing improv and stuff and I had been like obsessed with the state. So like... I wow. knew, you know, like I, yes. I, I, like when I pitched the story and finally got to talk to Kevin, like I didn't even acknowledge it. I didn't want to be like, uh, I don't know. Like I don't know. I don't know. How, yeah. <laughs> like I try to like keep a cool exterior. Um, <laughs> I was like listening to the mission of the podcast and I was like, well, that fits because I was mm. silenced mm-hmm. and, um, it actually didn't necessarily, like, even though my mom told me never to tell anybody, that actually didn't mm-hmm. stop me from telling people, you know? Oh, cool. I like knowing that. Yeah. yeah. Tell. Yeah. I was what, like. I think people would love to know that. Yeah. Because um, I was, I don't know, I was really wanting to do this play. 
and yeah. there was the wedding and I was like, I want to get out of this wedding and, you know, do the play. And my best friend yeah. was also in the show with me and I was talking to her. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like how, like I, I was like, I just confessed it to her, like what had happened. And yeah. she was just like, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Mm. Like you, like, I don't know. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm 16. I can drive myself around. So I'm not like, you know, if there, if nobody's home but me, I'll be fine getting places. So oh, wow. I don't think I realized you were sixteen yeah. when that wedding happened. It was her cousin's wedding, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was twelve when I realized it, and then like sixteen when I told my mom, and then the second person I told was my best friend. So. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow. And what a good person to tell, it sounds yeah. like, where they just really had your back. Mm-hmm. Were able to say, yeah, you don't have yeah. to do that. Yeah, exactly. And um, I don't know, just, just getting the support from her, I was like, it's not necessarily true that I'm going to ruin things. <laughs> like, people will still love you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right, right. I think that really speaks to that thought that was playing around in the background Mm -hmm. um, for a long time, but also really reinforced by your mom in that really painful conversation where it really felt like you'd be breaking the family up. Yeah. And that was was such a big fear. I mean, you really, really thought that. And it was like, I mean, even though, I don't know, she was telling me that, it's not, I don't know, I still knew that she was wrong, like, that that's not really what should happen, but I just felt defeated. I was like, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't win this battle, you know? Yeah, and it's mom. Yeah. So, it, it, and it was just like a little bit of shock to me, because... You know, and seeing these, like, sex ed videos and, like, always, you know, even from my parents hearing, like, if somebody does something that you don't like, tell us immediately. So you think these are the steps you're going to take and you're going to get this help and then it doesn't happen. Right. Right. It's such a betrayal of that that knowledge, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. but it also speaks to just how different these two processes are one where we know something to Mm -hmm. be true and then the other where we're actually able to put it into effect we're actually able to act in that place yeah oh yeah (laughs) (sighs) yeah i think it's it's really right now i feel really connected to that 16 year old you and learning this really painful reality of whoa the stuff that we talked about um you know when we we, we would go off and we would we'd get help we, we should seek help just like mm-hmm. you were saying this is like the should right you yeah. knew that was what you should do and and then even maybe like and mom you need help too mm-hmm. um yeah exactly right you know but, she, like that was there like 16 year old me needed a voice and i don't know exactly how old my mom was but she needed a voice, 
Um, mm-hmm. So, and that's the thing that I kind of, uh, like, after the story, and it took me a long time to, like, even come around to the thought of, like, I have a lot of compassion for survivors, and my mom is a survivor. And I think sometimes people will say, like, attitudes about childhood sexual abuse, it's kind of like the 50s, you know, it's like something that's out there and you just don't talk about it. These are things you just don't talk about. And she actually grew up in the 50s, you know? So, like, it was an entirely different world that she had. And um, just didn't just didn't know necessarily even know that she needed help and so therefore was not equipped to help me the way that you would hope for or expect you know that's right yeah it was just it was normalized yeah 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 just like the courage to face it and acknowledge it isn't something that's natural for everyone you know, some people oh, do yeah. go their whole lives not saying anything. Yeah. Uh, I think to this day, my mom's the only person, like, sh- I'm the only person that my mom told, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Yeah. Have you talked about it um, with your mom since then? No. Um, I have done a bunch of boundary setting, though. Um, yeah. For instance, when it came time to for me to get married and planning the guest list and everything, I was really stressed out thinking about, well, how am I going to do Like how I I don't want this person to be there, but like, how am I going to tell, you know, my mom that I don't want this to happen or whatever. And like my psychiatrist was just like, you're the bride. This is your day. You know, this is, this is entirely for you and your husband and you're you're stepping out there and like you're already a woman but you're becoming independent of your family so mm. you know i just i just like had called my mom and i told her i was like i'm um in the guest list i'm focusing on inviting more friends and i'm not going to invite my cousin and i will invite my aunt and uncle but i'm eliminating the cousins, um, which unfortunately, like I had to not invite my, uh, my other cousin, my female cousin who like, I would have invited her, but it just, it would feel weird if it was like that single person isn't invited, you know? But then again, I wasn't invited to his wedding. Um, but I think it was really like, it was, it was not necessarily well received by my mom. Um, she, she went along with it. But she just made it clear to me that she thought that was absurd. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean that, and that. Then we can really empathize with how hard it is mm-hmm. to be the person to speak out, to set a boundary. Yeah. Right. Like there's there's so much um, there's so much deservingness mm-hmm. that is required to be able to set that boundary, and at the same time, there's so much courage. Mm-hmm. to know that you deserve it and risk yeah. even not having those people in your life if they you know because ultimately yeah you're saying this is what this is what I deserve I deserve mm-hmm. to have a wedding where I'm I'm safe 
Yeah, exactly. I feel, I feel good, right? Yeah. Like, you, I think know the, that. Yeah, like, the bare bones of that is, like, you deserve basic human kindness, but you're mm. worth, like, you're worth getting yeah. what you want and, and having, you know, respect from others and, like, respect for yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, I took a big shift of trying to think of, like, what do I deserve? What do I deserve? And what am I worth? You know? Yeah. Yeah. How do you see those, those two interconnected for you? This is, it's still kind of like percolating in my mind, but it's like, it's like a more primal level of like deservingness, but then like, um, your internal like love for yourself and like seeing what you're worth. And that's taken away from you when you're abused as a kid. You feel yeah. worthless. Yeah, yeah, right. You it's know? like, I, and, and I think what I'm really feeling connected to right now is just it's that sense of worth is innate. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it should be. It yeah. should be innate, but but the effects of trauma, the traumatic traumatic events, make us feel like mm-hmm. it's less. We're less than. Yeah. We're somehow, yeah, yeah. deserving. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've done such a beautiful job, you know, bef- throughout these years mm-hmm. to get to this, to get to this point. Yeah. Looking, um, yeah. I mean, I would like to say that uh, once the plane landed and I moved to New York, that everything was great after that but there were still things that you know needed needed help like my attitudes towards um sex and relationships took uh some finessing mm. you know that's a nice word for yeah. it mm-hmm. yeah you know things got fine-tuned and i i recognized patterns that i needed to eliminate and and mm. luckily mm. i i did like my husband did emerge from the mist yes yes let's talk about that yeah so it was i mean he had been a friend of mine for a really long time we were doing like improv together and stuff it was always just kind of me being like oh this is you know like he's a great guy we're just friends it's nice Mm -hmm. to have like you know a platonic relationship with this person he you know um he was very funny and and cute and everything, but like we were always just complaining about our love lives and not being mm-hmm. satisfying. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of started as like casual, but then it just became very clear that you know we didn't have a desire to see anybody else, and the feelings were there, you know. Well, that's really sweet. Yeah, and. I think it's also a testament to your readiness for it, mm-hmm. too. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's I like what's around the corner, you know? Yeah. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> I like to live my life like that, you know? You just, yeah. you really never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I'm, I think I'm, I'm wanting to go back to your story um and the the moment where you're you're kind of having that out-of-body experience and calling the suicide hotline yeah like you were talking about the 
like self-harm the mm-hmm. like i was like slapping myself and how that yes. connects with with knowing that the way that i was you know treated physically in the past was wrong it's like yeah. your body your body knows even if yeah. you don't have the words for it your body just knows what's not right that's right you know? yes and actually that's the way that trauma really helps us to mm-hmm. understand what happened to us yeah because oftentimes well we we dissociate we we the, the memories don't get encoded in a way that's linear um yeah or with words mm-hmm. so so the the way that we respond to a traumatic event gives us really everything we need to know about what what happened yeah um i was wondering if actually would you would you like to go into more of that like just oh, so people recording it? can understand, yeah, like what your process was like in writing the story. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so I was not like trying to be a storyteller. I was mostly like in my performing, I was mostly going with improv. Um, but I felt compelled to tell this story. I'd always wanted to do something with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was the the first story I ever pitched was this story. And then I got like, like a whole long segment. And, um, I know Kevin has said a couple times, like when they've rerun the story of like, this was the first time something of that, that, um, genre or impact had like come through. Yeah. I think it was the first time they ever talked about childhood abuse or child sexual abuse. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I tried to write everything out just chronologically or I had some sort of narrative that I've always like had in my mind about my experiences or like how I would have talked to a friend about what happened to me. So mm-hmm. I was trying to like get out there. Um, and it took a couple tries. Like the first time that I like read through it, um, I came away from it and I was like, how did, how'd it go? And he's like, you might want to try expressing some emotion. <laughs> mm. oh. <laughs> like, wow. Well, so it really didn't yeah, it come flat. through the first time. Yeah. Completely flat because I wasn't I wasn't ready to drop into that. No. You know. I don't blame you. Yeah. The recording that did go through. Um yeah. I basically told it chronologically. The person who like edits it and does the sound and the music mm. and everything, mm-hmm. um, they themselves have a have a way of using their own creativity to shape it in a way wow. that that works. Because there were a lot of things that were like they took this section, cut it, and put it at the beginning. You know? Yes. Oh, that's what um, I was wondering about that actually, yeah. because yeah. those two um, scenes that the story starts mm-hmm. off with. The mm-hmm. one where you're in sex ed, and then the other where you're, I think, in your dorm room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, um, and there's the, the self-harm happening, the ideation happening. Yeah. But, like, the juxtaposition of those is mm-hmm. beautiful, I think. Yeah. Right? And that we, was like, them. Yeah. Well, they're, you're yeah. in really good hands. Mm-hmm. In that. What, what was it like? 
to actually hear it back once it was edited. It was great. You know, I was very happy with what they did. Um, I think in years since, uh, I don't know, there are things that aren't relevant anymore or aren't accurate anymore. Like, for instance, um, going off of medication and not going back to it is not true because, you know, life happens. I came back around to it. Um, Yes. But that was just kind of like at the time, my my therapy team only had so much information there's they have to observe you over time to really figure out what what's going on you know right right Uh, but i think this is really speaking to the importance of having having professionals around mm -hmm. you to to get a diagnosis or get get something that really does feel right yeah yeah it's right and i had a like I don't know, maybe a couple years ago or something, reached out and I was like, could I maybe, if you run it again? Because <laughs> they asked me, they've like asked me a couple times, like they considered putting it in like a book. They considered, you know, or like they were going to run the story again. And they're like, is it okay? You know, like if you don't want to, you don't have to, um, which is really kind of them. And um, I was like, sure, maybe sometime should we take that part out, you know, so now I get to actually sort of like set the record straight. Hey, yeah. Yeah. Well, what yeah. else do you want to set the record straight about? Is there anything that comes to mind when you I think just, back on the story? Yeah. Uh, the main thing was like the medication. And then also just a sense of wanting to acknowledge that, yes, my mom made a terrible choice, but she's also just a flawed human being and we can all make mistakes, you know, because I have, I, for a long time, I was like, how am I going to, how do I love this person? You know, how do I continue loving this person? How, like when I re when I come up to like, when we, when we lock heads about this specific thing or other things, how do I keep loving her? You know? Yeah. And just trying to, be like, I don't know, compassionate for her. Oh, um, a lot. It takes a lot to, to really figure that out. Because I, you know, I, I resented her for a very long time. I was very uh-huh. angry. Understandably so. Which is like what you should go through. Like, I don't think you yes. should be like, yes, mother, you made the best choice. <laughs> you know, uh, but also like right. if I, I, you know, I'm in the middle of family planning. Am I going to make all the best choices? Like, I don't, I think that I can make better choices because of how much work that I've put into it. But I'm not going right. to be perfect. Nobody's going to be perfect. No, and, that, and that's a beautiful thing that you've gotten out of your, your life experiences, which is that there's no such thing as perfect. Mm-hmm. It's about yeah. what you do with life that can make it workable and mm-hmm. the reaction, the response. those are really within our control yeah um that's a beautiful thing that you've been able to really connect to that compassion for your mom too yeah yeah Yeah. I, i think um there was something that I wanted to ask you about actually with in in regards to that because I know you said one time you were asked do you do you love your mom Mm mm-hmm right and 
I think it's really clear from what you're saying yeah. that the answer is yeah. Um, and but but how did you get to that point where you're really able to have that compassion and also be with the understandable anger or resentment about what happened in the past? Um, I think in hearing a lot of other people's stories and recognizing things that other people realized that I hadn't gotten to yet, which mm. is like why it's so important to have these stories out there to hear other people's stories. Um, oh, yeah. How how do you do that? I I don't know. I don't know that I was like, this is this is the exact plan and this is how, you know, oh. like, it's still amorphous a little bit. Um, totally. I think one thing, there was a something that she told me once that I felt a bit of, like, pity for her or, like, I want, like, just something that she described that I was like, I wish that I could have just taken that little girl and, like loved her the you know or taking care of her because she was saying that um she was they she was like diagnosed with epilepsy mm-hmm. and but she was saying she was never sure if that was actually accurate um she said that she would get into these these states where she was almost catatonic and she would just sit and stare she couldn't hear anything. She wouldn't respond to anything. She would just sit there and stare. And I'm like, I think you were dissociating. Yeah. You Sounds know. right. Yeah. And the physical toll that it takes on everybody. Like, mm-hmm. you can't, I'm just, it's just, you can't help but just want to be compassionate about that. It's like, it's such a hard thing to have happen. Oh, yeah. Um, it was just kind of like, I just wish that somebody out there had all the right information and that she could have gotten that help, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, She'd just been in a different environment. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then it, then I think it's sort of connecting you to to not just your mom, but also to the whole, the whole environment mm-hmm. around her, that the... You know those feelings of resentment. Yeah, they they go, they are directed at the actions or the inactions of mm-hmm. your mom, but that it's not that simple. It's not just about your yeah. mom. It's about the whole system. Yeah, yeah, and how it's just like, um. So another friend of mine who like I was I went to school with who was most likely in that same classroom with me when I was watching that video, um, she actually is like a public advocate for um, like a a childhood advocacy center um, where she speaks about her experience of being um, like molested by a family friend. And, um, and I, you know, she did like a TEDx talk and she like when I saw it, I was like, oh my god! You know, and I wrote to her. I was like, thank you so much for sharing that. I wish, when we were growing up together, I wish I had known. And like, you are not alone. Like this happened to me. And then she wrote back to me, and she was like, you're not the only person that's reached out to me saying the same thing. It's it's so pervasive. Like it just yeah, happens. Yeah. I mean, it's not 
it's not the standard. It is unusual to experience, it but it's happens. also kind of universal. It happens so much. Oh my yeah. goodness! Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. and it's not talked about um, by so many. Yeah. Still, and our our system still fails people who have gone through mm-hmm. abuse, who have just really been traumatized, and I think. It's sort of, it's connecting me to just sort of how powerful that the fear of being rejected or the fear of getting in trouble Mm -hmm. if you speak out is actually pervasive too in our culture that when people aren't believed, when... They but that's are... the standard. Uh, th- I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, that's the standard abuser thing too. Of like you're going to get in a lot of trouble. Be quiet. That's, Don't tell that's, anybody. That's right, and that's partly why it is. It's so effective, because um, mm-hmm. our our society is failing the yeah. people who need our help to yeah. know that it's that they they've done not they've done nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. That this is not their shame to have to carry exactly yeah um yeah so and i don't want to become like if i do wind up having kids i don't want to be so hyper vigilant that they have no experiences but i just like if anything happens that i can't prevent if they go through something like i just want to do whatever i can you know yes yes like like just to you will uh, like for instance, my friend that I was just talking about who does like the, the public speaking, like her, um, she told her mother eventually and her mom was like, nobody teaches you how to deal with this in mommy school. So we are going to talk to our doctor and we're going to find somebody who can help us. And so yeah. she speaks, she speaks for the organization that helped her. And like, you know, for a long time I was like, I wish that that's what could have happened for me. But you can mm-hmm. still you can still wind up in the same place of healing, you know, on on two different paths. It's just mm-hmm. it's just different, you know. Yeah. So. Right. Right. I think. I mean that that bartering with ourselves with our past is mm-hmm. just inevitable. It's part of the process. It's yeah. Yeah, but um, but it sounds like you know the way that you were able to access your understandable justified anger Mm -hmm. um which is one of those parts in the story that i love the most when you're (laughs) just like really really in touch with how furious you are right that like this is such a powerful thing for knowing um our boundaries for knowing right and wrong and trusting that Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's like, you know, it it makes me think about how your relationship with anger must have changed over time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, and it's going to be there when you, if you are a mom, right? That like, that it will be there and you can trust that it will, you know, it'll show up when it needs to show up. Yeah. Sorry, you mean like anger in terms of like being protective or... Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like um, the 
not not that it would be like out of control anger, but the kind of anger that is really just in touch with what is right, what is yeah. wrong, yeah. and looking out for this little person who yeah, needs exactly. you to do that. Yeah. yeah. There is a bit of uh, fury <laughs> that happens there. Um, yeah. I, pr- I, uh, like, I protected my mom, like, I guess, okay, this is a little bit of a side sidebar, but if we're going cool. back to what are things that you would have wanted to set the record straight about is that, like, I have, so I have a, a hard backstory, but I have a lot of joy in my life, so I'm not, like, I'm not sad all the time or angry all the time or, you know, depressed all the time. Like I have like a lot of joy and and positivity in my life. Um, Yeah. So that was one thing that maybe I just. Absolutely. I I think that's worth celebrating. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it just felt like that that didn't get to come through as much as it can now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, one of the things I really wanted to ask you is, you know, that, that thought of, I'm going to tear up the family. Oh, yeah. Right? What was it like to give that up? My, my first woman therapist that I ever talked to got a lot more out of me than any men had. Mm. And um, she helped me realize that, like, you can live a joyful life. You can be happy. And um, she, she specifically said that to me, you know, when I was saying like, I don't want to, I don't want to mess up the family. We were talking about maybe I should have like another conversation with her in therapy or, or like, should I be alerting the whole family, et cetera. And I was like, well, you know, she doesn't want the family to, to cave in on itself. And she was like, it's already broken. Mm-hmm. And you didn't break it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, you it were was so responsible. Yeah. You were she, feeling so responsible. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you think about it, like, so I was my abuser. Were they entirely evil? You know, like what happened to them? Yeah. And that you're not, is... You're not born to, like, you're, it's not just a natural thing that you're led to do. Like, what happened right. there? Right. And, and that, that is always then the question, right? It's mm-hmm. like, where did they learn this? And what happened yeah. to, to them? Yeah. But so it, it takes goes, so it goes, much It's so much bigger that. than one person is responsible for. You know, like, so it just, that did take some weight off of me. It made me sad for a long time. You know, yeah. sad, sad that I, that I held that, um, that sense of blame and responsibility. And then, you know, also sad that there was like a better way, you know, like sad that I didn't have, I didn't have the family that I wanted. I didn't have like that, that loving family that you see on TV. There was a lot of like media like a lot of tv movie families that i'm like god i wish i was part of that and even like in my friendships like my best friend her mother was like oh god if if she could have been my mom Mm -hmm. (laughs) i just oh um there are actually two women that were like that and i i really did have a feeling of like i wish that was my mom you know um but 
I don't know, eventually it's just kind of like, you have to let go of that and just do the most that you can with what you had. You know what I mean? I don't know. That's yeah. that's still that's still something I guess I'm working on or trying well, to figure out. You know, that you're talking about acceptance and yeah. it is a, it's yeah, an like, ongoing journey. Yeah, yeah. Can I sit there? Can I live my life in striving and wishing for what I didn't have, or like find the joy in what you do have? Right. Right. You know. And it doesn't mean that they're mutually exclusive too, mm -hmm. that there can be yeah. both, um, yeah. both a real loss, um, mm -hmm. around what, what you got or what you didn't get. And also there's then, I think when we're really able to be with that loss, a, mm -hmm. um, a, a sort of an opening up and allowing yeah. for choice an agency like, but it's they're not like if those feelings should happen to you like you should express them you know and live yeah. through them and like you know pushing yeah. it down and denying it and trying to live a lie <laughs> essentially uh -huh. is that's that's harder that's a lot harder um, yes it takes so much energy to do that yeah. um yeah. and i think a lot of people anticipate that Doing another, doing it another way, going into therapy is gonna make it even worse. It's gonna be hard work, and it's not that it isn't, right? It is hard right. work, but, yeah. um, but it's already hard to yeah. live in a way where you're not able to be fully present, exactly, authentic. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> that's that's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's uh, so much in what you just said. I think you just clearly have done a lot of really powerful work um, yeah. to around and this. And I think, and I don't want to yeah. like pat myself on the back or, I mean, like, yes, I'm proud of myself, but I'm not perfect. And like, I still have a lot to learn. There's still things that yeah. pop up and I'm like, oh, that was a weird reaction to this thing. How can I do better? Um, yeah. Yeah. You but know, that's the uh, thing, yeah. right? It's like that, the fact that you know that, the fact that you know uh -huh. I'm not perfect and I'm going to get to places along the way where I'm like, whoa, what was that? Um, yeah. Yeah. Is, is part of the healing process because yeah. I think there often was, at least for me, there was this idea in my head of I'm going to get to some ideal um, way of being where everything uh -huh. is just really easy and it mm -hmm. feels good and I'm happy all the time and right. that's just not the way life works no. right it's just it's not and change itself is also not linear and yeah you know really learning sort of to be able to to be with the um the reality of the way human life is yeah is uh is very very central to mm -hmm. living a life that that works yeah i did a lot of work to get where i was 12 years ago i'm in a different place now where will i be 12 years down the line Ooh. like that'll be fun <laughs> to think about yeah um, i'm thinking about you know you 12 years ago mm -hmm. in your friend's room 
right? Where you oh, told yeah, the we, story. I don't think we, I don't think we oh, mentioned that. we didn't that. really mention but, that. Yeah, like that the, okay, so yeah. we do the second recording and I did not do it in the sound booth. Um, I think there was like some, maybe just some scheduling issues or whatever. Like they, they left um, a microphone for me at uh, the improv theater. I picked it up. And at the time I was living on my best friend's couch because I, I was living with like, I was subletting from someone who was an alcoholic and had started uh, like what pushed me to leaving immediately was that one night he got mad at me for not doing the dishes and broke a bottle at my feet. Oh, so wow. I, yeah. Good, I packed, good job leaving. Yeah. Yeah. I yes. packed up and left that night, you know? And, um, so I was currently living on my, on my best friend's couch and I was like, you know, I, I still want to do this and make it happen. And that was the ideal environment for me because she was, she was like the second person I ever told. And she was always so accepting of me and I'm like around her things, you know, stuff that I remember from high school and like just the feeling of your best friend. Like that was like the best place that I could have been in for it. And I could just like let it go and just remember like how, how I told her and I just, I just had, I had to break against someone, you know, like she, she sat there with me as like all the tears like flowed through and everything. And it just, it, that was, that was kind of a, I guess, a sense memory of like how I was actually able to get to the point where I did have the emotions, you know, and you really did. And it was so powerful. I, um, I didn't know that she was there with you and oh, sorry. She was not there with me. She, She was, she had to work. She was and there I, I in but spirit, like was, in the it was room. Her, yeah, it was her essence. Yeah. It just speaks to those relationships where you can you can say it all. You can yeah. you are able to tell her, you know, yeah. the, how important she is. Yeah. To you. Yeah. And um yeah, I think I think the um the place I was imagining us going um oh, was it well no no that's a, i it was a i love that it's, it's a beautiful a beautiful um side quest into <laughs> just like yeah the power of friendship in this particular person is so important mm-hmm. to the story too yeah um yeah. i think it's it's got me connected to both the importance to acknowledge um her and mm-hmm. you that yeah. that actually I wasn't anticipating really and you know feeling this gratitude for your friend but knowing the backstory now it's so clear mm-hmm. that this you know this friend was there with yeah. you throughout so much of the story and yeah. when you think back on that that experience with her and also when you think back on just, you know, where you were at 12 years ago, you know, is there anything that you want to um, say, almost like as if we could time travel, is there anything you'd want to say to that, you know, um, older version or younger version, I mean, of you and your friend? (sighs) Ask me in 12 years, I guess. Um, (laughs) 
uh, I think just that she's not just my friend. Like we, I didn't have a perfect family. And so, sorry. <laughs> like I got to choose my sister. Wow. <laughs> She's the one I need to call. <laughs> Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> you're good at your job. <laughs> oh my god, you're you're good at being human. We're doing it together. <laughs> oh. 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 I'm gonna whew, I'm going to a nice dinner tonight. Like uh <laughs> gonna treat myself this evening good yeah. yeah I just I really wouldn't be here without her yeah. there's no way that's beautiful yeah oh she's so important mm -hmm. yeah yeah and um yeah, like we were she she moved away several years ago. So I think there's just like I was so lucky to have her accessible and nearby when I needed her. You know. We're yes. we're apart now and it's just there are times where I just like I just need that hug, you know? I do. I think I, I want that right now. <laughs> I wish I wish I could reach to the screen right now. I'll make, my husband, I'll make my I, husband do it. <laughs> yeah, where is he at? Well, not, not that you need it right, right now. Yeah, he's, but a, he's I, at work. He's at work. We're going to dinner tonight for our anniversary, so. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. That's so great, right? It's your anniversary. Yeah. Wow. I mean, thank you, really. Like, thank you for thank you. <laughs> just being being so vulnerable and, and raw and, and just accessing this experience again. Yeah. It's such a, you know, it's like we, we got such a different part of yeah. the story. Yeah. And, um, and it comes with all of its own emotional yeah. waves. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, like you were saying, you don't want to like re-traumatize yourself, mm -hmm. but like you can't, like it's, um, the fact that a lot of this stuff is so near the surface to me is like, A of all, when they reached out to me, I was in the middle of doing like this new therapeutic journey. So I have like a lot of resources and I was like in a really good place. Um, but just like the ability to have that accessible is the way that you are going to be able to heal, you know, because if it's so stuffed down, if you don't acknowledge it, you can't make any change. Yep. Yep. You, you cannot change what you cannot see. Yeah. You can't do it, but yeah. 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 There's, um, so yeah, I think having, having access to mm -hmm. the things that we know that work, for us, whatever yeah. they are, and they're different for everybody, but to really know what they are is like the most empowering thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So. 
Wow. <laughs> the power of, of friendships, too, is, like, yeah. such a strong theme here. Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, I've really been, been craving, I think, sort of the, the feeling of being surrounded by, by, like, sisters, really. Mm -hmm. My sisters. Um, I have two sisters that are on opposite coasts. And oh, wow. That is hard. Um, yeah. But then, I, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about the chosen sister that you have, and I really feel that, that there are, yeah. there are chosen sisters, yeah. and they're everywhere. There's, exactly. um There's just so much... There's so yeah. much potential. And I do feel like there's a lot that, a lot of mothering that I did get from her mother. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, in a sense, like, she really did, she really is family for me, you know? Yeah. Um, well. So, it, you know. <sighs> well, you know what also <laughs> is cool is that, like, we have... Well, like our, our brains can't necessarily distinguish between what is a memory, what's happening mm -hmm. right now, right? Um, so even imagining that, that your friend's mom is like your mom, or mm -hmm. like imagining a childhood with her can actually be yeah. incredibly healing. Yeah. To, to like rework yeah. some of those memories. It's never too late to be yeah. able to heal right and like um my my like fertility journey right now is is rough um but i think that there are like i i hope that it that it works out like or whichever way that i go like you know we're like i i haven't i don't know i i would like to be a mom but i equally am terrified of that but I think that, like, a great way to heal would be to mother myself the way, you know, like, to yeah. be the mom that I wish I was, you know, like. Yes. Or that I wish I had. I, I was totally tracking. Yeah. I to yeah. And um, honestly, I think you're already doing it. Yeah, I guess so. You know, you're preparing yourself. Uh, to be a healthy and whole human being so that you can parent. Mm -hmm. so, if that's what oh you my. want, then yes. Yeah. yeah. It's taken oh. a lot to, to get there, though, because it's not easy to think to yourself, like, you know, I didn't have the best role model. I didn't have the ideal circumstances, so how can I do any better? You know? Mm. But, like, yeah. like being, de being determined to to try, you know? That's everything. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think in some ways it's, it's like more important than even having the right modeling. Um, it's just that, that will that mm -hmm. to strive for something that you, that you know is out there. Yeah. Or is here. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that is all for this episode, folks. Thanks so much to Nancy Sullivan and Cindy Nielsen. 
And folks, you really and truly cannot hear this kind of programming anywhere else. We had hoped to be on stable footing financially by the end of this year. And I'm afraid to say, we're just not. So, if there's any way you can become a member at patreon.com slash risk or raise the amount of your donation there if you can or make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash risk show that would truly mean the world to us and really and truly help keep risk running in 2024 folks today's the day take a risk Sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org.